0: All right, welcome to the first-of-its-kind, world-changing Manufacturers Network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the Manufacturers Network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm here today with Mark Lilly. Mark is president and CEO of LilyWorks, and he helps manufacturers to solve the late problem. I'm going to let Mark explain a little bit more about what that is. But in the meantime, Mark, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much, Lisa. Appreciate you inviting me on.
0: So share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to working with manufacturers and creating LilyWorks.
1: Sure. We've been doing this quite a long time, and we refer to the team behind Lilyworks. It's a family endeavor. My dad actually started a number of manufacturing ERP systems, one in the 1980s called Profit Key, another called Visual Manufacturing in the 90s, currently owned by Infor. And they're both... Um, Uh, They are both designed for make-to-order, high-mix manufacturing type of companies used by thousands of manufacturers. And they both also had really very strong traditional finite scheduling embedded in them. What we found, however, was that in spite of this great functionality in either of these products and what we've since learned really in any ERP system or bolt-on that has this traditional approach to scheduling and managing production is that most manufacturers really struggle with it for a number of reasons. Yeah. So a few years ago, I'll get to the next one. So a few years ago, 2014, 15 timeframe, the team got together and we actually started a third manufacturing ERP system up in the cloud, that sort of thing. And, And as we were designing it, recognizing that While that that scheduling functionality was good and the previous folks struggled with it, we said, what can we do differently? So we came up with an entirely different approach to managing production. So both from a material standpoint and a scheduling standpoint. And we called this approach, or the software part of it, called it protected flow manufacturing. The approach is the dynamic production method. And we would go out into the marketplace and show folks the ERP really liked this approach to managing production, but they didn't necessarily want to replace their ERP right now. So that, cause that's so much work. What we did was we actually extracted that part of the software, made it its own product offering called protected flow manufacturing that ties into any ERP system, whatever you're using today. Hmm. So what's nice about that is we can go right into a company and help them in very short order. We're talking six to eight weeks and solve the late problem, right? Give them now visibility and production of of their true priorities, of when material, if material is here or not, to even execute the priorities. And so everybody can see and know what they should be working on and also future visibility. So that is, when is my customer going to be able to get their order based upon my capacity and my material availability out in the future?
0: So what exactly is the late problem? And what is the extent of the problem that you're seeing?
1: Sure. A lot of companies are struggling with this today. And very simply, it's not being able to get their orders out on time when they wanted to. I actually just did a presentation out at IMTS in Chicago last week, and I pulled together some macro data. And the reality is that across American manufacturing, there's over a a trillion dollars in unfulfilled orders only just in the month of July. That was the latest statistics that came out of basically the Fed. And that's about half of the entire manufacturing GDP, gross domestic product. To put that into context, the manufacturing GDP is about, is just over 10% of the national GDP. So there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. And I think really anyone who works in a manufacturing company realizes and experiences this, that whether it's for, for material and the supply chain issues we're having, uh, internationally, whether it's the, the workforce and not being able to find people, there's most companies are struggling with being they would be able to ship if they had capacity and if they had better management of, of what's going on, better visibility of what's happening in their production environment.
0: So what I think about with this the late problem and the first thing that came to my mind was okay, supply chain, everybody's struggling with supply chain. We can't get parts. They're sitting in ports in LA or whatever is going that whatever we've been seeing the last couple of years. How can people turn that around when a lot of people are just thinking, well, that's just part of the process right now? It right. seems that if somebody could turn around, that would really make them stand out from everybody else too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's making folks look because even before all that happened, folks still struggled with getting their orders out on time, people realize this. So I think it's really just bringing the shining a light even more so on the issue. And and that a lot of it can be helped internally if they truly had visibility of when materials are coming in, or or even if they had the materials right now, and also what their priorities should be, priorities based on the dependencies of what they're manufacturing and what jobs or what work orders are truly most in danger of being late rather than trying to schedule things based on a due date. And this is one of the things we find in a high-mix environment in particular is in most scheduling programs or tools will attempt to prioritize your work on due date. Well, especially in a high-mix environment, you, you will have jobs that are due earlier, but that are less in danger of being late just by the nature of how much work needs to happen on a job and whether it needs to go outside or back and this type of thing. So you could have a job that's due two months from now that's much more in danger of being late today, if you don't get started on it, than a job that's due even a week from now.
0: So how would so, you even How would you even figure that out?
1: That's a great question. That's really what we do is we, we go in and work with the whatever data they have, whether it's in an ERP system or not. And we bring that into an approach where we create what we call an execution plan for every work order. So you can see how much work needs to be done for, for the quantity that you're making, when the due date is right and and then there's actually and whether folks realize it or not they're actually using a buffer a, a lot of buffer time so when you ask somebody hey what's what lead time are you quoting your customers they may say 6 weeks and then you ask this the follow-up question to that is okay of that 6 weeks how much time is actual production time, right? Touch time that's going to be on a machine or somebody's going to be specifically adding value to it. That's typically their estimates of the routing from this operation steps that needs to get done. So what you often find is on a six-week type of lead time job, the actual touch time is a fraction of that, sometimes only a week, sometimes days, sometimes even hours. So companies are using a fair amount of buffer time between the actual time that's going to be needed and the due date. So we consciously look at that. We work, we work with the clients on that to say, is that say five weeks of buffer time? Is that working for you? Is that is it too much? In in which case, maybe we have an opportunity to reduce that, or is it maybe it's even too little? And maybe you need to expand that a little bit. Be conscious about how much buffer time you're putting in there. The dynamic is then that execution plan is going to flex based upon the quantity, which lead times don't, lead times a static type of piece of information, but really that should be flexing based upon the quantity. And then that also designates when you need materials up front and when that job should start. Okay. Now, when the job should start is really important because what the other thing we often find is Manufacturers have this idea in production that, you know, gee, as soon as we have material, let's get it out into production because then it'll come out the other side as quickly. No, you want to, you don't want to flood whip with too much work. There's actually a principle called Little's Law, which says that the more things or items in a system, the longer period of time any of those items are going to be. In the system. Good example is uh, simply a highway. I live in the the DFW area. And as you can imagine, during rush hour, we've got certain five lane highways and you come over up the uh, over the on ramp, right? All these brake lights. And we are going to be on that strip of highway, say it's for five miles for 20, 25 minutes, because there are so many cars on that highway. The flip side is you come up middle of the day or in the heat at night and everybody's flying by you. There's much fewer cars. So you're going to be on that strip of highway for five minutes or less. It's the same way in a production environment. The more work orders, the more jobs, more material you send out into production, there's so much traffic. The longer the wait times are going to be on each of the work centers, the longer period of time each it's just going to take to get through. That's why there's a lot of expediting at the end of the month, and this sort of thing. So you don't want to starve production, certainly, but you want to control how much you send out. And when you do that, whatever is in production then has the best chance to flow through its work centers as quickly as possible to then shorten your lead time and get out faster.
0: So that certainly sounds like some of the struggles that manufacturers are having with that traditional method of managing their production but what are some of the other struggles that you're seeing that they're having when they're doing it the old way
1: Sure so the, one of the things is the traditional with the traditional scheduling model is that you're you're running a computer program right you have to run a computer algorithm to get your plan right so you try to set up your parameters as best you can you run this computer program that Some folks may understand exactly what it's doing, others may not. And then you get this, your list then of priorities from the program, from this plan. And and even if it's, there's no such thing as a perfect plan, but let's suppose you you did have a really good plan you liked. Once that gets to the reality of production, and especially in a high mix environment where things are changing constantly, then something does change, whether a customer calls and changes a due date. A tool breaks, your best setup person doesn't show up, right? So so that, that beautiful plan that you had now doesn't make sense anymore. So it's probably not worth very much. So we realized there really needs to be a dynamic production method that recognizes and acknowledges and even anticipates that change is going to happen. And change happens constantly in a production environment. So instead of doing that, instead of trying to come up with a plan and execute based on that, what we, using those, that individual execution plan for every work order, every job, as I've described, that actually also calculates a real-time priority. And it's very simply using where we are today and how much on the execution plan, how much work is remaining, whether it's all the work or just a portion of it. And then from that, how much time protection or buffer do we have left to our due date? We call that a threat level. So based upon that ratio, how much in danger of being late is each one of your jobs? And we publish that in real time out in production so that everybody in every department in every work center on every machine can see and knows exactly which job they need to be working on right now, what the top priority is regardless of the due date, right? Because like as, as we described, there may be jobs that need your attention now that are due later rather than other jobs.
0: So how much do you think that this is costing the average manufacturer to have this late problem happening?
1: That's a great question. As I mentioned on a macro level, it's uh, it's in the trillions. When you ask most individual manufacturing companies, and if they're being honest, most will recognize that they're, maybe in the 80s percentile in terms of on-time delivery. And many struggle with being in the 60s or 70s or even lower. So it's it's not easy, but you can imagine. And actually, we can pull their data in and show them what it would mean to, to be able to ship on the extreme if they were... And they could do this math as well, certainly, by looking at their backlog. If they were able to ship everything on time, what that would mean from a revenue standpoint. But knowing that they're not, that they're going to be 30% or even 20% of their orders are not going to make that deadline mark. They're going to fall into a later period. What is the financial impact of doing that? So you can imagine there's a tremendous opportunity. If you can shift the bar even a little bit, so if you can go from even 70 to 80, 90 percentile, that, that change, now you're now you're shifting when you're going to be able to recognize that revenue as well. And it's a tremendous financial impact to to a company.
0: So, when manufacturers are shifting and going to that dynamic production method, what are some of the results that that they're seeing?
1: That's a great question. So, there's there's basically three three components, and I've touched on on all of those in in, in a different order. One is an- anticipating variability, so have making sure there's. You're acknowledging you're using a buffer today and and talking about that, right? Where should that be in terms of when we start jobs, when we need materials? So anticipating that variability, using the right priority. So instead of using due date to schedule, using a risk level, how much in danger of being late or of having a stock out if you're a make-to-stock type company are you? So that's the second one. And then the third is is controlling WIP, right? How much WIP? So what we see is once the method is in place and you're doing all three of those things, there's almost an immediate reduction in work and process. So if you are in a situation where you know, and many manufacturers do just by walking out on the floor, they realize we've just got too much whip out here. There's just so much. There's an immediate reduction that happens in just a few weeks. And that's a tremendous cost savings, right? So you can literally go to the cost accountant or the CFO of the company and ask them, how much whip are you carrying right now? And, and with this approach, we're able to reduce that in very short, or just do the math, 30%, even 40% of your whip gone within a few weeks. That's a, a tremendous cost savings. But then the even bigger part of that is being able to get work out faster with the resources, the machines, and people you're already using or paying for today. And now that becomes a contribution margin equation, or some people call that a throughput dollars equation, where whatever, and and with our tool set, you can also see this as well financially. You can see if I were if I'm doing things the way I'm doing things now, I can see how many dollars I'm going to be able to ship. But if I were able to make these improvements or I'm getting things out faster, how much more in a given time period would I be able to ship? both from a revenue standpoint, but even more powerfully from a contribution. The neat thing about contribution margin is that any additive contribution margin you're able to bring in in a given period, by definition, goes right to the bottom line. So it's a direct profit increase to the company. So it's a very powerful lever to help a company grow and and improve their financials.
0: When you have a high mix manufacturer and face it, nobody has enough time to do anything today. Everybody's plates are overflowing. How would you even start the process to prioritize as far as figuring out where your biggest risks are and, and even knowing where to start?
1: That's a great question. And companies are in different stages of being able to implement something like this, right? So we go into some companies that, already have an ERP, all of their routings and their data are, are really pretty, pretty accurate. They reflect the way production is happening. And we can tie in, but they may still they're still struggling with the scheduling components of it or material visibility. We can tie in very quickly and within a few short weeks, they can get those priorities in the future view we talked about. There are other companies and I've been in several of them even recently where they don't, they may have a system And But whatever data is in there, they don't really believe it, either from here's how production really happens. Mm. You know, maybe those routings were set up from a costing standpoint that accounting used. But when you get out to the shop floor, that's really not how material flows. So they need to rework those. And then there are dependencies oftentimes. Manufacturers who make a complex product where there are subassemblies involved. So are those subassemblies being built? specifically for a parent, so they need to be aligned very tightly, or are they common parts, common sub-assemblies that maybe even need to be stocked, in which case they also need to be aligned, but a little bit differently to make sure they're going to match whatever the first parent is that's going to need them. So that, that does need to be looked at. Um, the good news is, now we can't create data out of magic, but most folks either have it in their heads, and they often have it on spreadsheets. That's what we often see. Where folks have struggled with the traditional scheduling model. They have, e- they have scheduling in their ERP. They may have even purchased a bolt on. They've just struggled with it and they revert back to spreadsheets. So the good news is we can take those spreadsheets as well and use that as a data source to, to help them move forward in this direction.
0: Is there some kind of trigger or sign or something to pay attention to that, wow, this is an issue that we need to take care of right away? Is there like a time frame or anything again that would be like that siren that, hey, this is something you should be paying attention to right now? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If, if companies aren't already monitoring or measuring their on-time delivery percentage, so they're, even if they're not formally doing that, there's likely a couple few folks in the company who are aware with how good or not that is. Certainly sales, customer service. And that's really where the issue raises its head is with that customer relationship management, right? Whether it's an existing customer who's complaining about not meeting your the due dates that they had established with you or not being able to win new business because the lead time, if you're being honest and you're quoting a lead time, it may be longer than than some of your competitors.
0: And face it, nobody on the planet likes change at all. So if you're bringing this kind of change into a manufacturing plant, how do you get buy-in from the employees to let them know that this isn't one more program that's going to fail in the next couple of weeks or that this really is going to help them? How do you incorporate the system so that everybody sees the value and benefits?
1: That is a great question and a key question. So typically, we don't get to the point where there's a financial commitment from the client to move forward without at least introducing this to production and getting some in that regards. But to your point, uh, we have encountered situations. In fact, we've got a Modern Machine Shop article out there about keeping scheduling on track about that, that very point. We implemented this. Uh, we got management's buy-in. We had the big screen TVs and the workstations out in production showing the real-time priorities. Everything was wonderful. And a couple, eight weeks went by and management was saying, "What? Well, nothing's changed. We're still, the on-time delivery is the same. Our whip seems to be the same. So we did a deeper dive and realized, yeah, we hadn't gotten buy-in with the production folks. They were still using their old methods, yep. whether it's a piece of paper or a spreadsheet or their whiteboard, whatever the case may be. So we rebooted, we got things, we went back in with the management team. Um, we needed to get two. there were two, <clears throat> excuse me, two leads In particular, we needed to get them on board. Once once we worked with them, they saw the power of it. They saw the new visibility they were gonna get and got them on board and they brought everybody else on board. About a year later, I went to a a Modern Machine Shop Top Shops conference, invited them in and invited the uh, president, the owner to, to speak at my presentation. And probably the most powerful part of the presentation though was they brought their leads. It was only about a 45-person company, and they brought seven people. And one of the leads stood up and said, there's no way this company could have brought seven people, that we could be here for a three-day conference without this tool in place.
0: Wow. And the other thing, too, is that when you figure out who your pushbackers are going to be and you focus on them, I'm sure that then they turn into your biggest cheerleaders like those yeah, two leads yeah. did but it's like you have to figure out who those people are going to be get their buy in then then rest flows a lot more easily it would You're be. absolutely right. All right so as we're getting to the end of our time together if somebody is curious and wants to consider, continue the conversation with you, what does that look like as far as your process and bringing people on board?
1: Sure. Well, certainly, if you're ready to have a chat, I'm at mark.mark, with a K, dot Lily, L-I-L-Y at lilyworks.com. So feel free to email me. On the other hand, if you're just curious and want to educate a little bit more, we have a lot of resources on our website. So you can go to lilyworks.com slash P-F-M or protected flow manufacturing, that'll bring you right into our product page where there's a short three-minute video that kind of introduces this concept. If you're introduced or if you're interested in in more depth, we have a number of recorded webinars and some of my presentations. In fact, my presentation from IMTS last week was actually recorded, not quite available yet. It's going to take them a few weeks to get that out, but that'll be on the website as well. There are also a number of more testimonials that are out there as well, the website.
0: All right, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you on the show.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Enjoyed it very much.
0: I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturer's Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturer's Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.